I believe the Lord's going to minister and has. What a beautiful service that has already taken place. It seemed like the worship, you know, and I like the direction of Pastor Rodney kind of took that this morning and something a little bit different, you know, kind of a, a mercy of God. That was, and an awesome sort of a respect that we felt in here for the Lord. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning and you were here last week, then all you need to do is go right back to the same scriptures that we were at. We're going to go back to the book of John, and uh, there we'll be reading out a second chapter, <laughs> 11th verse. And so going there this week, we're um, getting ready for one of the great things that happens in this church once a year, and that is the ladies' conference. Um, boy, it just it's just got here. It's, it's jumped on us quick, and uh, they've been, Kay's been preparing and getting ready. We're looking to um, have several women from out of the area, and we're, this church will be host. And uh, thank you, ladies, who are involved in all the aspects of this, and the men. Let me also say, if if you can be here on Friday, I know that you've got working situations, but if you can be here on Friday, uh, we do help serve the dinner, and um, then uh, Lonnie is cooking, and right? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> he's sitting there, <laughs> okay. <laughs> But um, and then we'll be putting it together in the kitchen, and and then the men will will help serve, and um, that's not demeaning for the men; it's just a blessing for the women. They may only see that once a year, you know, and so uh, we have to really really impress them, you know. And during that time, while they're getting ready out there, uh, we'll be having service in here and. Kay always asked me to preach one service, which I don't know why she started that, but she did, and so now it's too late. I, now I expect it, so. But um, we'll be just having such a great time. It'll be um, ministering. All of our men, please come to the night services. Sit in the back. Don't cause any trouble, but just stay out of the way, and... Uh, help if there's sometimes there's stuff that needs to be done you know and somebody can catch it and usually the men are taking care of the babies so all of those that, that we have a lot of little ones in this church you have to sit in the back take care of those babies and and we want our ladies to just really really just receive something refreshing renewing best stevens is just such a good she relates so well and brings the gospel that's not just, you know, I've seen a lot of women's conference type things that they really wanted to talk about issues that, you know, really wasn't the gospel. But she brings the gospel to our ladies. And so get in there and be involved and be praying about that this week. And so Thursday night, Wednesday night, we will not have church Wednesday night because we start Thursday night uh, at the uh, ladies' conference. And so, oh, one other thing. The choir is going to be singing. That right there alone is going to be a blessing. Just that alone. So, 
So we'll be looking forward to that too and a uh, couple of times and, and Heather's like, how many times should we sing? No, no, how many times can you sing? You know, so we're looking forward to all of it. It's going to be a great time. John, the second chapter and uh, the 11th verse. This beginning of the miracles Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Of course, we talked about this word last week. It is not the word teres, it is the word semeon, signs. The beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And the second part is what we really need to look at this morning. And it revealed his glory. Everybody say his. His glory. And his disciples believed into him. And again, we read in the fourth chapter. So if you would go there, the 48th verse and the 53rd verse. The 48th verse we read last week. And again, it said, Then Jesus said unto him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not at all believe. But then the 53rd verse, And the Father knew that it was at the hour which Jesus had said to him, Your son lives. And he himself and his whole household believed. Again, this second miracle Jesus did, or second sign that Jesus did, <coughs> coming into Judea in Galilee, was done in Cana of Galilee. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just ask you this morning, we need an unction, an anointing, a filling of your spirit. If we are to relate your things, then it needs to be by your spirit. Lord, if we are to receive your things this morning, it must be by your spirit. May we hear what the spirit has to say to the church this morning. And that by your word, amplify, open it, open your word to us this morning. And as we hear these things, I pray that our hearts will be stirred and God, that our reliance will be channeled in one single direction. All of our praise, all the glory we give will go to you, Lord Jesus. Everybody believes that, say amen. Amen, amen. I want to talk just for a few minutes about the book of John, just briefly. I've always been intrigued in the book of John. It has, it has something different about it. It's set aside a little bit. As you know, the other three Gospels are called synoptic. In other words, they are pretty much tell the same story. They pretty much are interwoven into uh, how they present and what they say, uh, the book of Luke, of course, Luke was the one outsider that uh, possibly was a Gentile man that, that wrote. Uh, and he studied from those who were firsthand with Jesus, firsthand account, firsthand eyewitnesses, and wrote those things down. But those first three Gospels, they seem like they are just a little different in the approach it is the same Lord that we're talking about, amen. It's the same gospel, but uh, a different sort of a, a, a different look at the same thing that the other brethren had written. 
And so John's gospel, uh, it seems to appeal a little different. It appeals, appeals not to the level of human intellect. And, and I think this has been a problem. I think that people have, from the beginning, begin to take the book of John and reduce it so that it would come down to human reason. In the book of John, if you believe this, that John was a revelator, and I absolutely believe this, that what he wrote was, was so, it, it was so to the point. It was about the Lord and revelation of the Lord. And so a lot of questions have come up about the book of John. First, beginning with who wrote the book of John, and I think it's clear that as you go through it and read it, it's the one, the disciple of Jesus and whom he loved, and, and so we clearly put him as the author. And then next, there's always been this question about, well, who was the book written to? And some people say, well, um, that it was written because Gnosticism began to come into the church, and John needed to clear that up, and so he wrote uh, these things that would address this, this cult of Gnosticism, and so that's what his book was for. And uh, I don't really believe that so much. I believe that John wrote under the inspiration of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life and his eyewitness, and he began to write things that God had revealed to him, and he writes them down to the church, and it's just a step deeper into the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's things about the book of John you won't see in other books. There's things in other books that you won't see in the book of John. But he appeals to in a different direction. And I love this book of John. We spend a lot of time there. And for those of you that remember us having a Greek class, this has been many years ago now. But for several years, we uh, had a Greek class. And and it was mainly a discussion class more than anything else. We took the scripture, we, we had the, the uh, text in Greek, and then we began to study how it laid out and all the things. Well, one of the things that happened to us, we got in the book of John in the first chapter and we couldn't leave. And so we studied it for several years, just the first chapter, in fact, just the first 18 verses and couldn't seem to get out of there, and thank the Lord that was an impression upon my life uh, for many of the things that I knew and that I had studied, and John being uh, probably the first really focal point of John is the very first verse, John 1 and 1, and in the beginning was the Logos of God, and this becomes a tripper for for people that, that are studying in the wrong direction, uh, trying to verify certain doctrines, this, this verse has been twisted, has been used to, to change the outlook uh, of the Godhead. Uh, it, there, there's, been, there's been a lot written about John 1.1. 1, 1. There's probably more written about John 1.1 1, 1 than any other thing in the church. And really, it stems from a misrepresentation of what God had given and what man wrote down. In the beginning was the word, according to Jerome, who translated the Bible in the year 400 into Latin, and he used the, the wrong Latin word to make it a single word. And in the beginning was a word, and that word became personalized now and ascribed to Christ that in the beginning that Jesus was in the beginning, and I'm sorry to say this this morning, and I don't, I, I don't ever want to try and 
trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but you're here, and this is what we preach. Jesus was not in the beginning. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So I'm going to work on that this morning a little bit. And so just buckle down, hang on. You'll get it in a little bit. You'll understand what I'm talking about. But it doesn't, this book doesn't name the author. It doesn't name the mother of Jesus. It doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. If you're going to get that story, you have to go to one of the other Gospels. Something's interesting in the book of John. There are no parables in the book of John. How many of you knew that? That's good. I didn't either until this week. I ran across that and I said, what? There's no parables in the book of John? So I begin to look it up and, and absolutely the Lord never says in the book of John uh, or it's never said of him that he gave a parable. There are four times that he gave allegories, but not parables. The difference between a parable and an allegory, let me get this right. A parable is a fictitious comparison. In other words, something that's, that didn't happen, it's fictitious, but you're liking it unto something else. That's a parable. Actually, the Greek word means para, bole, to throw down beside, really is what the word parable in the Greek means. And so... Jesus did give a lot of parables. Remember him saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto. In the book of John, you never find the likened unto. He's so direct. Everything that he, will, that he will preach by this gospel is absolutely direct. That you shouldn't miss the message. That you shouldn't shouldn't be detoured in another direction or, or think that it's construed in a different way. John writes this, 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 this direct, pure, revelatory sense in his writing of Jesus Christ. Straight to the point. See, an allegory is something said intending to reveal a hidden meaning. So it's not fictitious. It's just said in order to reveal a hidden meaning. Like Jesus talked about when he said, he said, if you enter the sheepfold another way, you are a thief and a robber, you must come through. And he said that in an allegory, but yet it was true. And even though he used a sheepfold, the people of God are the sheep or sheep of God, and he is the great shepherd. And so it's, it wasn't fictitional. In other words, the things that he said in the book of John, they directly connect. They directly connect to the Lord. There is no gray area out there. And I really like that about the writing of John. Next, the I am's that are in the book of John. And we love talking about those here because we really believe that Jesus is the great I am. Amen. Sister Sarah wrote a song and put that in there. He is the great I am. And so... All of those I am's that are in the scripture, there's some in the other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But when you get to John, you're going to find a whole lot of inferences where Jesus says, I am. And a lot of times in your English Bible, it's not translated that way. But when you look at it in the Greek, the 
Ego I me is there and it's there and it's there and it's there. And the Lord, I'll tell you what, somebody said, they asked this question. Did Jesus, did Jesus ever say that he was God? Well, that's all in how you view this this morning because Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Now, I don't know what that places him as other than God. John goes through this work and, and just points us in every passage, in every story, in every event. It's more than just a miracle. It's more than just a wonder. It's a sign. It's a sign. And so past scholars, let me say this way, past scholars have, I believe, misunderstood the direction of John and I think largely that's because it stems from a, a, a false theological stance of a pluralistic Godhead. And, and I don't want to just, you know, beat the same old drum, but, but I am going to preach the gospel this morning, and I'm going to preach it to you the way that John gave it. And I'm going to try and listen. It's, it's not my work. I'm just the mailman, but I'm going to put that letter as close up on your porch as I can get it this morning. It's not my word, it's his. But I'm going to try and bring it to you as close as I can. Past scholars, they've taken the book of John and broken it into parts and sections. Because really not knowing how to and what to do with certain things, and you've probably already understood this, that the first 18 verses is called the prologue of John. The prologue. And I'm sure if you've studied it and read it a little bit, You've run into that. From verse 19 in the first chapter through the 12th chapter is called the book of signs. The book of signs. I didn't know that. I found out a few things this week. I don't call it the book of signs, but they do. Seven signs that Jesus did. And we're going to go over those. This is going to be great. We're just talking about two this morning. Then from the 13th chapter to the 20th chapter is called the book of glory. The book of glory. And the 21st chapter is the conclusion. And so it seems to me as though they're separating the writings as being distinct in themselves. That the first 18 verses are a little different than the rest I don't think the Spirit of God wrote it that way. Somebody say amen. But I believe that men wrote as they were moved on by the Spirit of God and that John wrote those first 18 verses that if you don't understand the first 18 verses, then just put the book away because you're gonna, not going to know what the rest of the book is about. And I don't think he chopped it up and separated it into parts and pieces so that they would be different writings like four different uh, categorical writings that John did. No, he wrote one book under inspiration of God, and I take it and I believe that it is inspired and that it is good for understanding this morning. Can you say amen if you believe that with me? It's not possible to get a clear revelation of Jesus while searching out the Scripture for three gods. It's just not possible. John's going to make it really clear 
And the things that he says really clears it up because his focus always goes back to center in Jesus Christ. In this church, we stand on this principle in Scripture and prophecy. Number one, the spirit of prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The spirit of prophecy is not about end times. The spirit of prophecy is not about who's going to be the next president. The spirit of prophecy is not about we're going to run into hard times. But the spirit of prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what prophecy is about. Does the Lord foretell things at times? Yes, I would say that he does. But prophecy is the fourth telling of what God has already written. And if you don't understand the spirit of prophecy, you get up in front of the congregation without the spirit of God, the spirit of prophecy, and you'll fail to reveal what this book is about. And secondly, the understanding of Scripture is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is not just about history. This book is not just about creation. It's not about just how the Jewish people had a nation and, and how that Jesus came in Bethlehem. And then there was a church and, and then there's a, an end day where the church is going to rule the world and come and reign and rule. This book is exclusively about the revelation of Jesus Christ to humanity. That's what the book is about. And so the spirit of, of revelation works in accordance. The spirit and the word, they do agree. And so the spirit of God is always going to amplify, always going to bring out of the scripture the revealing of the Lord and who he is and what he is and how he is by the inspiration of the same spirit who wrote the scripture the Lord is revealed. It's why I take this morning that the signs that are in the book of John, the signs, say me on, the signs, they are personal impressions. They're not just healings. They're not just fabulous works of miracles. They are personal impressions of the Lord himself left upon humanity. Remember last week I talked about those of you that hunt and when you come to a track in the woods or somewhere you see in the dirt or the mud where they have left an imprint that shows you exactly who, what animal came through there. And when the Lord puts an imprint on a life, you'll know that it was not just another miracle and not just another sign, not just another wonder, but it was God himself who puts his hand, his imprint upon the situation. And you know that you have prayed and God had to put his imprint on a situation in your life. God had to bring you out of there. And when you got out of there, you knew it wasn't just another sign and wonder. It was God putting it an imprint on your life and on your heart. And the signs in the book of John are not just another good work, but they are personal impressions. 
the proof of who Jesus really is. That's what the signs that are mentioned in the book of John are all about. I was listening to a preacher in a very large setting, thousands in a building. It's in 2019. And after some irregular descriptions of the Lord, which I really didn't see where he was going with it, it seemed like he was painting a, a different picture of Christ than what I know. He made this observation. Uh, and listen to me about this. This is, this is, you know, cutting it in pretty fine. He said, I wanted to know what Jesus came to do. He came out of heaven to earth to do. This is him. He said, I wrote a list and I went to the Bible and looked through and wrote a list of those things that I thought that Jesus had come to do. He'd come to heal people. He'd come to save people. He had come to bless. Most of all, he had come to be um, sin sacrifice. He said, but then at the top of my list, the top of my list was this, that Jesus came and his primary duty was to reveal the Father who had been hidden in the ages in the Old Testament and, and Jesus came now to reveal the Father. Now I'm going to go a little deeper than usual this morning, so, so I want you to, 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 to hang on. Maybe take some notes and, and maybe look at this and, and, and sit before the Lord with this in the Scripture because I begin to think, and when I hear things that kind of they kind of get my interest, it's hard for me to let go of it. So I begin to think about this. Did Jesus come to reveal the Father? If Jesus was an inferior, then he came to reveal somebody else. If he was inferior, if he was less than, then he was sent to reveal something other than himself. Is that fair to say? In other words, his duty was not to reveal himself. It was to reveal something else. And if Jesus was only Messiah, and he was only a prophet, and he was only a sin sacrifice, the Lamb of God, and if that's all he was then yes, he came to reveal the Father. And if Jesus was merely a reflection of the glory, and I don't, boy, I tell you, this, it stirs me when I begin to read Hebrews, the first chapter, and I'm going to bring a little bit of that in, but when I, when I begin to see that Jesus is not a reflection of the glory. This is not what the book of Hebrews tells us, that Jesus is a reflection of the glory. But rather it says to us that he is the glory. And he is the shining of that glory and that it comes from where? It comes from out of him. 
But if he was merely just mirroring something else, then I say, well, he came to bring the glory of something else. But listen to me very closely. But what? What if the Father came to reveal himself in Son? As related to us in Hebrew, the first chapter and the second verse. And God in times past had showed many different ways and many different things and spoke to us, spoke to the fathers by the prophets, the instrumental in by the prophets. Then, then in these latter days, in these latter days, no more, in these latter days, he has spoken to us in son. And it doesn't have an article there. It's not in the son. It's not in his son. It's in son. It's a mode. It's an operation of what God would use instrumentally. He instrumentally used the prophets. Now he would instrumentally use the form of son to relate something to the world. And it's not the glory just of a son. It's not the glory just of a father. It's the glory of God himself incarnate in person in the son. Can you say amen? And so that God came to reveal himself in person by means of an incarnation. So now to say that Jesus' job was to glorify, it was to reveal the Father isn't complete. What if the signs were given, the signs that are in the book of John, were given to reveal that the Son is the embodiment of the Heavenly Father? Then how do we view that? If He brings glory, He brings not only glory to the Father, he brings glory upon himself. And so when we see the signs that like we in chapter 2 it says, and it revealed, what did it reveal? It revealed Christ to them. Again, the revelation of God is in Christ Jesus. And so he is the expressed image. I love this in the book of Hebrews the first chapter. He is the expressed image which is the exact physical and spiritual characterization of the hypostasis of God. In other words, whatever God is, whatever substance he is, whatever essence he is, Jesus Christ is the character of that. He is the exact representation of something you cannot see, something you cannot handle, something that is hidden in the Old Testament. He becomes a representation of what you can't see. He is the image of the invisible God. So, Pastor, you're on that again. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And then it goes on to say in Hebrews, he himself made puri- purification for our sins. Let's connect that with that verse that says God was in Christ. How many believes God was in Christ? Let me put it this way. God was in the form of Christ. Not that just God was in, well, Pastor Ronnie, God's in you, right? Yeah, God's in you. Well, God's in you, Ronnie, and the Spirit's in you, yes. But there's, there's another factor here. God showed up in Christ. And it was God in Christ that was reconciling the world to who? To himself. 
by the means of what we call a son. I think even an unlearned person, somebody who's not educated in Scripture and doesn't know very much, can understand these statements. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Let's take that to the Spanish for those that don't understand it. Are uno. Just single. I and my Father are not two. I and my Father are one. He later says in, in John 14 chapter, my father abides in me. I am my father one. My father abides in me. And when you see me, you have seen the father. I, it just blows me away, the explanations of that scripture. Well, well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus was the ambassador from heaven, and you can't see God, so you see Jesus. Then you see God. You see the whole Godhead. You see the whole thing, you know, because Jesus was the ambassador. No, I'm going to take this personal. Jesus said this about himself. The one seeing me. If you see this cardinal flesh, this incarnation of God in Christ Jesus, when you see him, you have seen the Father, because Jesus is the visible fullness of the revelation of God to men. This is the crux. This is the essence of what John is trying to teach in this whole word, that Jesus is the visible fullness. You're not going to see God in any other way. You're not going to know him in any other way. He is the explanation of the, the 18th verse. Jesus came to explain everything about God in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He is everything that heaven designed to show God in the earth, to show Jesus Christ is the Lord God of heaven. He by himself is the instrument used by God to manifest the revelation of God to mankind. I had to go with this way with this, and I, I had never thought about it just exactly like this. But Jesus, he's the son. On the outside, he's the father. On the inside, he alone manifests all of God's reality and glory. That's why we serve him. Can somebody say amen? I said, well, you people are all about Jesus. And some years ago, somebody told one of the members of church, just go on down to that, that church. All they believe in is Jesus anyway. Well, if you can understand John, you're going to find out that there's nowhere else to go. That everything we need, everything we have, it is all in him. He is the great savior. Can you say amen? He is the great provider. He is the lamb of God. He is the high priest and the sacrifice at the same time. He is the king of glory and he has humbled himself to the earth at the same time. The son on the outside, the father on the inside, he alone manifests all of God's glory. There's a reason why that we serve him. And I say this, not trying to offend other people, but I don't believe he's junior. 
We're serving junior God, Jesus. He's not the big God. No. No, we're serving the great, high, and mighty God who in himself, who in himself took on the form of flesh. And John later writes in his epistles, he wrote, he said this, he said, you cannot have the Father and not have the Son. And you cannot have the Son and not have the Father. To reveal the Son is to reveal the Father. To glorify the Son is to glorify the Father. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There is no separation here. It's, the, it's God himself. He has pronounced himself as God in the heaven. He has pronounced himself as God in the earth. And he showed up here to show us who he is. Zero separation. Can you say that with me? Zero separation. In Hebrews, the first chapter in the sixth verse, when he introduces the firstborn in priority, the firstborn into the habitable world, he says, and let all of the angels in, in, in uh, the word, word let, where they get the word let here, is that it's on the word worship. It's aorist, imperative, active. I don't like it, let. That's subjunctive. Let all the angels worship him. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. Whatever you want. That's not the direction. It's a demand. Now. God says now. I'm introducing something into the world and it's going to be a little bit of change for everybody. Because now you're not going to worship what you don't see. What you can't know. But what I'm doing is bringing... The first in priority, in other words, what this world is about. The reasoning for this world. In the beginning, logos of God, the reason of God was. What was the reason of God for this thing anyway? Was it to create millions of people so they could fight and have wars and disagree and governments at, at each other's throat? Is that what God created this thing for? But was it created for a purpose? The purpose of the earth is the revelation of God in Christ Jesus. And now he's going to usher Christ in. And when he brings him into the habitable world, he says, let, no, not let, it's a demand. You will. Does everybody know the difference between subjunctive and imperative? Subjunctive, you tell your, tell your kid, if you want to, go take out the trash. That's subjunctive. And I'm going give to you, give you a little something that you already know. He's not taking it out. Because you give him the choice. I'm going to let you take out the trash. Oh, goody. It'll be there tomorrow. I'm not doing it. But the imperative says, boy, I've told you about four or five times now, you take that trash out or you're going to get a belt. That's the imperative. It's, it's, it's a little different. It takes, really kind of removes the choice out of there. And God tells the angels, listen to this, all the hosts of heaven are standing in line, man. They're all out there and all they know is that they're worshiping on a throne 
of a God that they can't see. But yet they know His presence, but they just can't see Him. And the Lord ushers into focus, brings now into focus. His plan, His purpose to bring Christ into the world. And Christ is not just another man. He's not just another prophet. He's not just a Messiah. But He is that character exact representation of God himself and he ushers him and births him into the habitable world and he looks at the angels and says to them, now you're going to direct all of your praise in a direction. It's not going to be to what you don't know anymore. It's not going to be to a God that you can't see anymore. It's going to be to the one who I have ordained to be the representation of everything that God is, the glory of God and now you will by command you will worship him may I say again when you glorify Jesus Christ you are glorifying the God Lord of glory hallelujah everybody okay say amen so I think we've displayed enough information To prove that the giving of signs was not to reveal something else, but was to reveal Jesus Christ as God. That makes it so easy for me. I've just got one Lord. I don't have several Lords. I just have one. All of God's glory is just aimed in one direction. And so let's look at these signs real quick before we close this morning. We just had one of my favorite segments that I ever preached, and that was it. And you know that. You've heard it a number of times before, and it will again. Sign number one in Cana of Galilee. Let's talk about that for just a second. Jesus, you know, this is... For some folks, it's all they know about the Bible. Jesus made water into wine. That's it. That's all they know. And they're, you know, Jesus made water into wine. Hey, let's go. All they can think about is the natural. All they can think about is, oh, wow, wasn't that great? Look at that miracle. Awesome miracle. Awesome miracle. What Jesus did in that, he demonstrated to his disciples his power over the elements. He didn't take a handful of uh, uh, Kool-Aid and put it in the water pots. He didn't even touch the thing. He didn't pour the water. He didn't take it out. He spoke the word. Wow. His disciples are there. They realized that. He didn't do it. He didn't lay his hands on the water pot. Now, Heavenly Father of Father, we pray now and by the Father that you fill these with wine. He didn't do that. He said, fill them up. Mary had already told them, just whatever he says, do it. That didn't come from Nike. That came from Jesus. Whatever he says, do it. And he said it. 
and they did it. Can you imagine? Wow. The surprise of the same men that poured the water in there, now the same men are scooping it out. And they're looking in that pitcher. Going, wow. You know, probably. Oh, my goodness. But his disciples saw something deeper than having enough wine to fill everybody's fancy at the feast. His disciples saw something a little greater than that. There's only one who has power over the elements this morning. I want to let you know this. Only God alone has power over the elements. Don't try and change water into wine. You can never do it. It can't happen, especially if all you're doing is speaking over it. So the second second sign that he did, and it's amazing because he did the first two signs in Cana of Galilee, and, and you think of Cana of Galilee as just being a small place. It's just 10 miles north of Nazareth where he grew up. It's about 15 miles would be uh, east, I guess, of Capernaum and uh, the, the, the sea, sea of Galilee, and it just is just a little country town. Uh, Nathaniel, who was one of the Lord's apostles, came from there. And it just seemed that Canaan just really is insignificant, but he did his first two signs there, and there was something great there because it was just the hill folk. It was just the country folk, and they were going to believe something. They were going to see something. A great light was coming towards them, and they were about to receive something. The second miracle, the Scripture says miracle, but rather a sign that happens in Cana. There is a nobleman in Cana whose son is dying that lives in Capernaum. And this nobleman, whether he's there for business, it doesn't say what his reasons for being in Cana is. But he hears that the Lord's coming. He's already heard about the water and wine. That, it was in that town. There wasn't anybody in that town didn't hear about that. And this nobleman, he's like, Jesus can heal my boy, he's dying. And so he gets to the Lord And he says to him, Lord, my son is sick and he's in Capernaum. And Jesus says to him, you won't believe unless you see signs and wonders. But he's still, he's there. He he knows that the Lord is the only answer for his boy that's dying. And so Jesus says to him, you can go on home. Your boy is going to live. And so the next day, this may have been in the evening, couldn't travel. He's going to travel that 15 miles to Capernaum, and he's on his way, and one of his servants finds him and says, hey, your boy's going to be okay. And, and the nobleman says, at what time did that happen? He said, well, it was about, it was about the, the, the seventh hour. The seventh hour, that would be one o'clock to us in the afternoon. And he remembered that's when Jesus had told him, your boy is going to be okay. The second sign that he did, he did not put his hand on the young man. He did not like at times raise them up or or even one man draw him out of a coffin. He didn't put his hands on, on him like he did the lepers. All he did the second time was to speak his word again. And it was shown that he has power over the human structure. He has power over your physical body that he can speak healing to your body without even touching you. And for the second time, 
according to Hebrews, the first chapter, and it talks about him holding all things by the power of his word. Who do you think we're talking about here? Only God can do these things. Only God has the power to do these signs. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things in this day. I don't want to get back on this. We talked about it last week, but I was a young man in church, and, and at that time there was men that wanted to be known as doing miracle signs and wonders, and one of the favorite things they would do is they would get a chair out in front of the congregation and, and find somebody who had a leg problem. Anybody got a leg problem, a hip problem, and they'd bring you up there, and, and they would shuffle your feet, put, pull your feet out, sit in the chair, and they'd pull your feet out on and, and see there, short, short, it's short. And then it start praying, and then suddenly that, that, that foot would come out even with the other one, and everybody shouting, and everybody going, and it was a trick. There was no healing. The people went away limping. But it was just a show, well, a sign, a sign, and a wonder. Listen, that stuff has nothing to do with the revelation of Jesus Christ at all. But when he does a sign, puts his imprint upon it. What an amazing, amazing thing. So what were the results of these first two signs? That they had plenty to drink? Was, was that what it was about? What was the result of the next sign? That a boy was healed? That boy went on and lived and died. See, healing is not perpetual anyway. Neither is prophecy. Neither is tongues. Prophecies will fail. Tongues will cease. Knowledge shall be done away. But there's something greater than all of those, and that's a love of God in Christ Jesus that we know. It will never fail. And so the sign and the wonder is not about fixing us up so that we can feel better about ourselves and go on about our earthly duties. But his disciples believed into him. This was the answer to the sign. The nobleman and his whole house believed Jesus. This was the sign, the imprint that he put on that man's heart was that Jesus Christ, He is Lord God. That's what a sign's about. Can you say amen? Let me close with this. Any sign that does not work to show Jesus revealed as God is not of God. So all you that live in this valley and you've been out in the parking lot and somebody comes up to you and says, I have a prophetic word for you, and no. No. Everybody say no. They're looking at me like, huh? There's some of you that's happened to do in this church. You'd be, be in there, Kay was right in the store, doing minding her own business, doing the thing, and, and somebody come in there wanted to give her a word, and they said, no. Can I, Kay, no. No, you can't. If prophecy, if gifts and healings, Signs and wonders do not show Jesus Christ revealed. They're not of God.
I thought just, you know, we're just going to go around just doing all this good stuff. No, that's just community service. Let's separate the two. And a lot of churches have got up and just, they're, they're caught up in community service. And it's nice. It's good to be good. That's not what we're preaching about this morning. That's not what the gospel of John is about. Jesus, he's just going to, you know, just going around just being nice to people. He's just so nice. And that's why a lot of times when he was done, he looked around and the crowd had gone. They were offended at his word because they didn't want to receive him as God. It offended them. And this false stuff that's going through this valley, if it doesn't show Jesus Christ revealed as Lord and God and Savior, then it's not of God. But every sign is to anchor. Listen to this. This is the end statement now. Every sign is to anchor our love and our faith into Jesus Christ, our Lord, God, and Savior. That's what signs are about. When you go to the book of John and you find that word, Samion, in there, what he's talking about is God putting an imprint on your heart. I pray that God imprints on some hearts here this morning. Say, Pastor, man, I've been going through it. Wow. I'm really struggling with a lot of things in my life and struggling with a lot of sin in my life. Can't seem to get through it. Can't seem to get over it. Get better for a while. Gets worse for a while. God needs to put an imprint on your heart. When he's done... You've only got one answer, and that's, I believe in Jesus. I like that song. We sing it sometimes. I believe in Jesus. I believe that, that he rose again. I believe that he reigns on high this morning. There is no question in my mind about what the Bible is about. It's about the revelation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? If you just come this morning, we're going to close in a song. But I want everybody to think about what I said today.